pa, 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 pa. Well, yeah, okay. P- right. Plosives. Plosive. Plosive. Sibilance. I have plosive diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> Think about that for a minute, what that would be. Plosive diarrhea. Yeah. That is an amazing band name. We've, we, okay, when you get your slide whistle back out yeah. and I play whatever instrument I decide Are we recording this? I can still play. Yeah, I'm recording yeah, right now. This is really good. If you're listening to this podcast yeah. and you've looked up on Google and it's a band that's called Plosive Diarrhea, whose formation date is after the 8th of September 2019, let us know about it because... We're calling That's our lawyers. That's our freaking band. Yeah, we're <laughs> yeah. going to call the lawyers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we are We are uh, lawyered to the hilt, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. All right, let's do the intro, shall we? Yeah. Welcome to Jeremy's Iron. It's an evidence-based podcast about science, research, and poor microphone technique. Ooh, okay. With me, Justin Sibilance. And me, Justin Plosive <laughs> Diary. <laughs> <laughs> Good, I set that one up Thank for you. Thank you. Now, look at it. Uh, this is a science podcast where we review the most recent research that has just hit town, hit our browsers. The, the, we've got a bit of a new format of late now on Jeremy's Iron, where we each bring one piece of research to each other, try to surprise each other a little bit. Is, uh-huh. that, the, is that the gist? We're restructuring. Yeah, yeah we're going through a restructure. <laughs> yeah, under under new management. <laughs> yeah, yeah, our new um, our new production company has requested it. Yeah, that's it. Uh, but we are Jeremy Zion. Uh, if you want to see us on the web, it's jeremyzion.com. Hopefully by now we've got everything, uh, all our ducks in a row with all of our uh, online kind of structures and everything. We don't do the social media thing. We've ch- we discussed this We're numerous times. We're working on it. We're not working on it. We I, are. I'm not going to touch the Instagram world. Apparently Instagram is not great for podcasts anyway. Who would have thought, given that we're not a visual medium? Well, but we do have visual content, which we're working on. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We have some... Yeah, that's, that's quite true. And we've had good response to the video content we've had so far. Yeah, we're putting some videos up online. But uh, the gist is we look at some research and we cast our sort of scientific eye, given that we are a biostatistician and orthopedic, orthopedic surgeon, surgeon collectively. Yeah. Having done plenty of research each, mm-hmm. uh, we, we feel like we've got a little bit of uh, skin in the game yeah. and uh, a bit of knowledge behind us that we can have some authority of sorts in discussing we are, research. Uh, we're two doctors between us, <laughs> right? Two doctors between us. Oh, I've got two doctors. That's right, <laughs> dickhead. <laughs> I'm like, wait, I'm not a doctor. Oh, yeah, Shit. right. You are a doctor twice over. Yeah. Great. <laughs> um, but this week, we're going to have a bit of a chit-chat, but uh, this week we're dealing with vegan babies. That's yep. my article. Yep. I won't give you too much more uh, information than that, but we're, I'm going to investigate the vegan diet how do babies babies know enough about diet to choose to be vegan in the first place? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you got all these conscientious objective yeah, babies. You show and... me a baby that's that's you know well informed <laughs> <laughs> enough to decide to make to take that choice into their own baby hands. Yeah, and I I, I will show you. What are you going to show me? I won't. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's your pay? What, what are you? Gonna We're going to talk table? about. I'm going to talk about uh, blue light and sleep. Yeah. So, you know, computer screens, tablets, things like that. People say that, you know, if you use them late at night, it affects your sleep. Yep. Well, I'm going to deep dive into that. 
Great. I'm looking forward to that because you know at one stage. Oh, I, we're going to get to that. I did. Okay. Yeah. I brought a, I bought a uh, pair of orange. Blue blockers. Blue blockers, which uh-huh. uh, was a subject of much humor Should on the we, other side of this we, microphone. I've got a photo of you wearing them. We could post that. We do have visual content. Yeah. Is that what you were trying to allude to? Before? No, it wasn't. No, but we Me do have... wearing orange glasses. It's going night. straight yeah. to the Instagram Jesus account. <laughs> yeah, that was me. Yeah. That was me. Yeah, it'd be you and many others, man. It's true. Dr. Lewis Ehrlich, I know, wears them or at least has flaunted them on his uh, Instagram. Does he? Famous dentist in Sydney, Australia. Yeah. Anyway, um, I want to talk about something first, if you don't mind. Can we please. talk about TED Talks, please? I've been waiting to talk about TED Talks. Can I, we please talk about TED Talks? Can we talk about TED Talks? <laughs> I freaking hate them. Uh, do, are you with me? Like, do you... Okay. Let me tell you my journey with TED Talks. Okay, please. Which was like, what, seven years ago? Yeah, I mean, they, they had their time in the sun maybe about seven, eight years People ago. People talked about them, and then it would be on YouTube. You might come across one by accident. You're yeah. like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And then very quickly... I don't know, within like a year of discovering TED Talks, I just started to see a whole lot more TED Talks. Yeah. And it was like TED Times. TED, I think it's TED TEDx. TEDx. TED Times. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's cute. But, but, but the X is Times, right? It's crossed with something else. It'd be like TED. TEDx. Oh, yeah, it'd be TEDx Vancouver. Oh, yeah. And the idea is TED Times. Like it's yeah. TED mixed with Vancouver, right? Got it. So, but then, then it was like, you know, TED Niger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like TED Delaware. Yeah. Well, Delaware. Yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> but you're like, Okay, this is, there's a lot of TED Talks happening now. And then yeah. I found out that the original TED Talk was actually, you know, fairly high caliber, high, um, quite a vetted process. Yeah. Where it started off with one dude who created the TED Talk back, I think in the 80s. And he was a business guy and he would have like a host of his businessy friends who would come around and he'd have like a dinner like once a year or yeah. something. Or was more. his name Edward? I presume not. It's, it stands for something, right? Technology. It initially was called Ed Talks. And then yeah. when it got bought out by someone else, <laughs> they changed it. Theodore. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, so yeah, I think it was like once a month or once a quarter or something, he'd have influential friends come and they do this thing where they have dinner and one guy would give, you know, people would give a few talks and that was where the format was born. Um, and then they did quite well. And then apparently he franchised the idea and that's where all this, there is still, I think maybe still, there is an original Ted talk, right. but all the Ted X Ted times of the cities yeah, are franchisees. Franchise. I did know that. And so yeah. then you can just, you can just pay the fee and have host your own Ted talk or whatever else, which mm. then means you got to fill your bill, which means you just get whatever punters are free in your town or whoever, you don't get the cream of the crop. And then they're probably not vetted nearly as tightly as the original Ted conferences. So any Ted you see from, I understand this Ted time, TEDx something yeah. is not really affiliated with the ethos of the original. Well, can TED, we, can we get a TEDx? Other than branding. Can we do a TEDx Newtown? Just yeah. record our podcast with a bit of a, we need an audience, presumably. If we pay the fee, we can. Yeah. yeah. What, how much is the fee? I'm sure it's very expensive. Okay. Okay, <laughs> it's a lot, but yeah. Well, we could do a, we could do a possible campaign. We could we could get people uh, to we, yeah, support we, it. We, so. could, we could crowd so crowd. Jeremy Zion, JeremyZion dot com. Ted times Give us JI. A, Ted times yeah. Well, Ted times JI. Times, Ted times Iron words. Um, yeah, so that's what I know mm. about Ted. So I've lost a lot of faith, and I don't watch them. But I, I hate them. I just there's something so just the, the the metering and the rhythm of a TED talk I find so lame. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. they always come out with some kind of question to the audience, like, "What would you say if I said blah 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 blah?" And it just seems so forced. Well, have, so, you, have you heard people interviews with people who've done TED talks, especially the TED talks with the actual TED organization? Uh. Where it takes them so long to organize it, they spend months and months and months preparing their talk, yeah. and they have to get it down to 
within seconds of the time limit is. Sure. And then you go, you have like someone coaching you from the TED organization. So I think they coach you on your timbre and how you actually go through your talk. And they, um, it's a super, super controlled. So by the end of it, you've rehearsed. I think, who else, who's done one? I've read it, I've heard podcasts where a few people have done them have said the same thing, which mm. they end up um, going through to the point where they don't even know what the words are anymore. They're just... They're reciting, reciting something in their something. brain. It's yeah. kind of like what I do with this podcast. Like this is yeah. this is all, I rehearse this for hours before I get... Which is why it comes on. out so natural. It does, it does. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, <laughs> I, so I, um, I cut out so many ums when I do a bit of post-production. Or, do you? Honest, yeah. yeah. You'll, you'll rarely hear me say um if you're listening to this <laughs> podcast, but I um the whole way through. It you're is mo- a, you're, a you're magic- mostly ums. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so no, I'm, I'm not pro-TED. Yeah. I think they're boring. Yeah, I'm over them. I'm, I'm done. There's a few we had to watch for like maths teachers doing really interesting mm. things. And I'm like, I can't, I can't deal with the, just the timbre. It's the timbre of them I can't deal with. And sort of self-aggrandizing as well. Yeah. Like, kind of like podcasters and, you know, yeah. <laughs> I thought about that. You obviously think you got something to say to everyone. That's right. You're going to put your shit out there and there's yeah. going to be people clapping you. Yeah. Well, at least we don't have people clapping us. We this do this for the silence. What's your gripe? Are you going to gripe for me before we start scientific content? Uh, have I got well, a gripe? Well, it's not a gripe, but for some reason... We start with a bit of like... Oh, I did have something. Another language thing. But I thought I would reply to one of our listener mail questions. Oh, yeah. Um, Ebenezer from Kansas writes in, uh, can you explain to me what a lizard brain is? Right. Very good. And this goes back to one of our previous conversations. It does. And it also, if our uh, another listener, Mark, tends to uh, talk up the lizard brain occasionally too. So he might be interested. Mark in loves this. lizard brain. So I, th- into what, I thought back to what we were talking about a few weeks ago, which is you might have a lizard brain if, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and various scenarios in your day-to-day life that might make you think you're using your lizard brain. So for okay. example, <laughs> if you find uh, you might be using your lizard brain if you spend uh, hours on a rock. <laughs> Thermal regulating <laughs> with the help of the sun. That's evidence of lizard brain? That's, that's you using what your if, lizard brain. What if I was to get like cut in half and all of a sudden both parts of me keep wriggling and form... Wait, actually, lizards don't do that, do they? No, but <laughs> if, 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 if you were threatened and you lost... A, if you voluntarily gave up a limb to escape... I can credit my lizard brain. Lizard brain in action. That's classic credit. lizard brain behavior. Yeah. If you are at the zoo and you find that... Uh, um, Komodo dragon looking particularly fetching. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good one. If you feel That's an, my favorite. a natural need to mate with that uh, iguana, yeah. lizard brain. Classic lizard brain behavior. Look, these are scientific conundrums solved <laughs> on Jeremy's eye. That's why you listened. Yeah, we have all the answers we here. We do. So that's, <clears throat> that's how you know if you're using your lizard brain. Those are, those are a couple of giveaways, a couple of classic tells. All right, well, we're going to have a, <clears throat> a little bit of a break and then we're going to come back with uh, some, some science. What do you reckon? Yeah, why not? Let's do it. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Who's going to go first? Do you want to do the... Let's do yours. Okay. Let's hear about the blue light. Yeah, blue light. Yeah, we can always switch it in post. Yeah, <laughs> or we can mix it up. You do one line of yours, and then we'll put. 
One line of mine. <laughs> in post. <laughs> no, that's too much work for me. Now you, you, just see, you just say in post and that means me doing hours of work, right? You know that. Yeah, it's a very powerful sentence. Yeah. We'll fix it in post. We'll, we'll make it funny in post. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you add me in post? Deep fake me. I'm cutting up like audio from previous episodes and putting it in for you. <laughs> yeah. All right. T- tell me about blue right. light. What's a, so? Well, you tell me about blue light. Okay. So my understanding of the blue light situation mm-hmm. is that us being humans have not evolved for the level of- You're talking lizard brain stuff here, right? A little bit. We yeah. haven't evolved for the level of background light, background blue light we experience mm-hmm. in the modern world due to screens- um, you know, just inner city living generally. Yeah. But screens, television, mm-hmm. iPhones, laptops, all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So our eyes, there's some kind of um, uh, function that happens when, when we see blue light that there's some circadian thing that goes on yeah. such that, you know, naturally when, the, when it gets dark, the circadian rhythm knows it's coming to the end of the day and it lets us sleep more soundly, et cetera, right? So having blue light in front of your face at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night mm-hmm. um, uh, can affect your sleep negatively. That's basically it. And so there are guidelines. I've seen them, if I can recall, I've seen them saying you shouldn't look at a screen within an hour of going to bed, mm-hmm. something like that. But that's okay. basically, that's you what I something. said. You that's got, what I got, said. Yeah, I think it's a good foundation. Um, yeah. What do you know about light spectrum? Okay, so you're a sound man, so you know waves. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's part of the electromagnetic waveman. spectrum. That's right. Yeah, so it goes from the visible part of the spectrum, well, from infrared to ultraviolet, those being the two absolute limits. Of well, the visible spectrum. infrared and ultraviolet aren't visible. That's right. So they're, they're, right. they're the beyond barriers, just beyond, just beyond tops and bottoms of the visible yeah. spectrum, right? Yeah. So blue is on one side, red is on the other side, mm-hmm. and Which, now between. Shell meat. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, except in the atmosphere <laughs> where all light is being scattered at all times. That's right. So Okay. So what do you know about which one has the most energy? Oh, my God. Okay. So the one with the shortest wavelength, highest frequency has the most energy, uh, yeah, which is right. red? No. Damn blue. It. So no. blue. Blue is short frequency. Uh, so a short wavelength, high, high frequency. frequency. Okay. So it's got more energy. I got the theory right. Red is the opposite. But I got them the wrong way around. No, Damn. it's okay. It's okay. It's right. You're thinking sound. It's all you know. You're a sound jockey. Yeah, that's it. Um, okay. So some qualities that we know about blue light. What do we know about blue light specifically? What What do you think goes part and parcel with high energy, short wavelength mm. waves? I guess it sounds like a guess what's in my head question. I'm not sure. Uh, it's sort of a guess what's a fact. <laughs> it's less <laughs> like a riddle, which is like, what did I think of yesterday? <laughs> well, you tell me. Give, give us, give us okay. a roll on. Sorry. All right. So a high energy. So, here's, here's a giveaway. In terms of if you go outside and you're thinking of dangerous waves, what waves are you worried about? Uh, UV, right? Right. Which is on the? Blue side. Right. Yeah. High energy, right? So the high energy the high of the ultraviolet wavelength. Yeah. Burns you, it damages your DNA. Got it. Right? So that's part of the high energy component, right? That's why that's a concern. Gotcha. Um, short wavelength mm-hmm. means that the light scatters a lot. So blue light, as it comes through the atmosphere and it gets scattered by whatever other elements or uh, atoms and yep. things there are everywhere else, yep, yep, yep. it scatters more than other wa- wavelengths. Okay. That's why the sky looks blue. 
Okay. Because you get a much more diffuse random scattering of blue light as compared to the other wavelengths. Okay, I thought that had something to do with like the universe expanding or something. Or nope. no, nope, nothing to do with that. Okay. Nope. Who <laughs> <laughs> you got the two doctorates, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so so that's interesting, right? Um, and so and it's that scatter that causes another problem. Yep. When you look at things, if you're reading. Um, uh-huh. So blue light is part of the light that we see all the time. It's not just a function of computer screens and iPads and phones. Yep. So blue light is a very important part of the electromagnetic spectrum. It's part of the visible light because mm-hmm. we see it in terms of the blue in the sky. That's how we know which we can see it. Um, and when you so look it was at, Miles Davis writing about the spectrum when he, was he writing, had his most incredible album, Kind of Blue, which is still the highest selling jazz album of all time. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> right, Justin Zelzer. He was. Continue. Uh, so when you look at stuff and all the light is coming to your eyes and it's hitting your retina, um, generally the higher wavelengths travel in a straight line and they aren't particularly bothered by things in between. Think of sound waves, right? Big radio waves yep. can travel farther and less impeded by obstacles, right? Because they're so big, they can just kind of pass through and around. You mean amplitude or you mean lo- wavelength? Wavelength. Okay. Is that right? Yeah, but big wavelength is actually lower frequency. So that's lower energy. Sure. But big wavelength. You mean, I think you mean amplitude. Like, I think amplitude. Yeah, amplitude, amplitude is just like the volume. Well, let's not compare to right? sound. Okay. Because I'm out of my... Sure. <laughs> like you talking about expanded universes. Fine. Okay. So basically, shorter wavelength, the same way it scatters in the atmosphere, it also scatters on the way to your retina. Okay. Which means that it's blue light that causes eye strain. Okay. Partially. I mean... Got it. If your eyes are messed yeah, up, sense. then yeah. all light causes eye strain because you can't focus it. But we have a particularly hard time focusing blue light, okay. uh, which is why you get a computer strain looking at uh, eye strain looking at computers mm-hmm. because the higher weight, the higher proportion of blue light coming off of computer screens um, kind of confuses your eye because you can't focus on the blue. Right, and that's why those eye saving modes are all yellowy and exactly. orangey yeah. kind of thing, right? Right. So cool. Blue light affects us in more ways than just sleep. Blue light is out there. It's a big component of the visible spectrum. Um, and also blue light, because it can cause skin cancer in your ultraviolet light causes skin cancer, it also causes retinal damage. Got it. So blue is kind of, there's a lot of things that are kind of concerning about blue light. They're problematic for us. Mm-hmm. Um, not just kind of sleep weight cycles. But importantly, yeah, it's really important to keep us awake. So the same reason it keeps you awake at night is the same reason it keeps you awake during the day. Got it. Um, and so we need blue light to help regulate our circadian rhythms. Um, and so there was a really good study mm-hmm. um, where they looked at, so this is kind of going back to first principles, right? Before we get into sleep, before we get into computer screens, we're talking about just what do we know about blue light and why do we even have it? Why not block it out all the time? Right. If it's just so bad for us, if it causes cancer, if it makes your eyes squint, yeah. why, why don't we just avoid it? Why don't we, well, put part sun, of me thinks why don't we lather sunscreen into our <laughs> eyes, <laughs> spray yeah. it in and then go outside, yeah. right? Um, and the answer is that, yeah, it's really important for alertness and for awake cycles, right? If not, we'd be falling into like seasonal affective disorder. Yeah. And people think that people who live in sort of polar countries, sort of, you know, at the extremes where you have these long uh, kind of dark days, mm. um, it's not necessarily the weather, but it's the lack of sunlight that causes this sad, you know, seasonal affective disorder. Um, and then that's treated partially by putting people into um, UV chambers and it kind of increasing the amount of blue light they get during the day to improve their circadian rhythms and their mood and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Anyway, there's a, there was a paper that was published. It looks like a Dutch paper, given all the names. Um, and it was published in Scandinavian Journal of Work Environmental Health. So I'm going to say these are actually Scandies. 
Okay. Um, so they looked at blue enriched white light in the workplace, improved self-reported alertness, performance, and sleep quality. Okay. So in this situation, blue light actually improves sleep. So blue light at the right times keeps you awake and actually improves your sleep. I might just don't, keep your arms and stuff off the, um, the table because otherwise the mic will get busted. Anyway, continue. Sorry. Um, yeah, so the, the, the blue light for so, industry. So yeah, so they, they, they compared kind of a standard workplace and um, incandescent lights, so neon fluoro lights in offices um, typically erred more toward the blue end. Yep. But you can get warm ones. You can put filters on them to kind of make them a bit more neutral. And so they compared kind of more pure white light versus standard sort of blue light that you get in these fluorescent lights and then kind of looked into how people um, performed, their alertness, and how this well they This is very interesting. Right? So, and so what happened so performance-wise? Well, they, they found that, people, that white light was not as good for people in terms of their productivity, their alertness, and they had worse sleep with white light during the day than with blue light. But this is all for workers working inside, not getting exposed to natural light. Is that what you're saying? That's right. So it's kind of like the the... The best light to have if you have to be exposed to artificial light during the day mm. is one that's basically tilted in the blue direction. Yeah. Okay. And even and even alternatively, if you're generally tired, you could possibly artificially make people more alert by increasing the amount of blue light available during the day. Cool. Now, of course, this comes at the, at the expense of possibly giving them retinal cancer. <laughs> yeah, but it's about efficiency, right? Small price to pay. Hey, look, the dollars don't tell you about the retinal cancer, do no, they? No, they don't. That's not what we're talking about today. Right. So I thought that was a good way to start, right? Very good, so very we good. know that we need blue light. Yep. Um, and then we can sort of get into a little bit about what we know about sleep problems. Mm -hmm. uh, and so how would you conduct a study looking at whether or not blue light affects sleep? Easy, twins. Yes. That's my answer to everything. Don't have one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, so how, how would you conduct a study as to whether blue light affects sleep, yeah. you said? Yeah. Um, okay, so... I mean, there's tons of ways of doing it, and there are tons of papers out there. Like, there are so many papers. Yep. Generally, they're reasonably low-powered papers. And this is a problem that we see with lots of, lots of studies. So when you say low-powered, what does that mean? Not many people. L so low number of, of low number, participants. Yeah. Okay. 20, 30 people. You yeah. know, like, they're not particularly powerful studies. Yeah. That's descriptive as anyway, yeah. Which means they lame. often contradict each other. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But anyway, okay. we're talking about it. Yeah. So so I presume you just basically get some people that are exposed to light during the day, or or, or you would use the the um, orange sunglasses. You'd be like, Okay, mm -hmm. you guys are gonna wear the orange sunglasses from this time and yeah, you guys are not. Controls versus intervention group, go. Okay. And how would you work out how well they were sleeping? That's an issue. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I wouldn't put my uh, any stock in those apps that tell you how well your sleep is. I don't know. I'm, I'm very distrustive. As in those. the apps that you sleep with, the, the, yeah, the, the phone. Yeah, the phone's like, Because I wouldn't think you should take them out of their natural sleep environment because that just adds a whole bunch of stuff. You're not going to take them into like a... Sleep lab. Yeah, sleep lab where you attach things to their heads and shit. Nah. So it ha it'd have to be something along what those... What if I told you that's what they did? <laughs> Really? They put them in a sleep lab. Oh, God. This is the most expensive way of running this experiment, right? right. Um, but you think if you take all participants, both controls and experimental, yeah, and, yeah look, look it, it does introduce a new variable to both parties. But yeah, it's, we say that's a non-differentiated non effect there. Sounds like that's what that is. Yeah. So this study called Acute Exposure to Evening Blue Enriched Light Impacts on Human Sleep um, published in the Journal of Sleep Research in 2013, did just that. They took 30 people, um, split them into groups. They got either white light or blue light, 
um, over the course of two hours of evening like computer reading. Yep. And then expose them to, and then put them to sleep, and then measure their REM, and then how deep they slept. I mean, they got as much as we can tell about objective sleep measurements. Great. Right? So they could sort of quantify the exposure, and they can quantify the results in some way. Yep. Um, and what they found was, give me a second, pulling it up here. This all sounds, this all sounds pretty, um, you know, stock standard in terms of the way you'd test it. So I'm, I'm down with it so far. Well, they found that people exposed to blue enriched light did in fact um, have a different sort of sleep. They found that they had... Um, Less REM. Reduction of frontal slow wave activity during the first non-rapid eye movement episode. So it does affect REM sleep, which is the deepest sleep that we have. So what the effects of that are, we don't know. We don't know if it has any performance effects or any effect on tiredness on the next day. Much harder to measure that. Um, But they could objectively determine that there is a difference in sleep with people who are exposed to blue light. Got you. Interesting. Okay, well, I mean, that's that's kind of along with your expectations, I guess, the the Mm -hmm. theorized issue with blue light. Yeah. Now, the question is, I mean, should we expect there to be a difference with blue light? I mean, if you look back at the science of it, it can't just be the blue light. What does the blue light do? What's the mechanism for blue light even keeping you awake in the first place? Um, Is there another way that you could think of that would allow us to objectively measure the effect that blue light has on a person that does involve self-reporting? Ooh, I'm, I'm excited to hear where this is going. I don't, tell me. Okay, so we can look into sort of the biology of it, right? Which is, something has to happen between... Yeah, I guess if, you, if you're light. seeing light that's blue, yeah. it's not just that your eyes are reacting to it. Like that something has to happen on some It's not like a combination. Level, it's not right? like, you know, you're, it's about lens constriction. Or, there has to be a process, right? They, Do you, you don't between even, I mean, the eye and the brain, something's happening to keep you awake or not awake, right? Right. Which means there has to be something involved. Some neurological kind of. Something neurohormonal, maybe. Ah, okay. Right? Yeah. All right. So we're, now we're talking about like hormones and sort of chemicals and signaling factors that the, might. The blue ones, yeah. Yeah, blue ones, right? Exactly. <laughs> okay. The blue hormones. That's right. Which everyone knows are. The sad ones. No. Okay. <laughs> you have no idea what I'm talking Melatonin. about. Melatonin. <laughs> Melatonin. So what do you take when you're jet lagged? Melanin. Melatonin. Melatonin. Okay. Melanin is what gives you suntans. Got it. Yeah. Also related to light. Uh Okay. Think about it. Mel from the Greek meaning? Light. Sun. Yep. Really? No, I I, I actually don't know. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So when you are exposed to blue light, um, visible light, but particularly blue light, uh, we know that that increases melanin. Actually, sorry, no, it decreases melanin. Okay. Because melanin puts you to sleep. Gotcha. So what you want is you want to decrease uh, in melanin, yep. melatonin rather, in your exposure to daylight. Right. Um, and then it's a fairly quick turnaround. Right? So you, what you want are these surges. <laughs> so we respond to kind of the fluxes in melatonin being released. Um, and so what this one study did was they looked at blue light from light-emitting diodes so they actually created artificial blue light, mm-hmm. um, elicits a dose-dependent suppression of melatonin in humans. Um, so they found that when they exposed humans to blue light, they did find a dose-dependent decrease in the amount of circulating melatonin, um, I think a few hours after they administered the dose. Great. Which tells you that that's the biology. There should, we expect there to be some effect on sleep because we can measure the chemicals that regulate sleep. Okay. So circadian rhythms do have a sort of a neurobiological uh, Yeah, there's a marker of them, yeah, right? Exactly. It's not like it's, it's not this magic. magical thing that we say circadian rhythms and it just happens, right? Yeah, like, it's not something you think about. It's, yeah. not, it's, not, like, it's not a it's like, it's like, process. It's not as if it's like the rhythm at the start of I'm coming up by Diana Ross. Like, <laughs> <laughs> or jungle rhythm. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> that is a niche gag about the ridiculous rhythm at the start of uh, Diana Ross's I'm Coming Up. And yep. if, you, if you're interested, have a listen to that song. Uh, this comes care of Fred Armiston, by the way, yeah. who, who raised this in his comedy show. But um, Diana Ross, I'm Coming Up. You know the song. I'm coming up. I can't sing it, but you can. Yeah. Um, have a listen to the drums in the first 45 seconds of that song. It's, it's ridiculous. Anyway, so keep going. That was my little, uh, a little aside. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's really kind of what comes down to the crux of sort of the, under, the scientific underpinnings of the whole thing that many times we've talked about things that seem like sort of pseudo-scientific quackery, right? Yeah. And we've said, yeah, they don't work because, or that's not a thing because there's no reason why it should be a thing. Right. How many times we, especially in the early podcast, we were like turmeric or talking about oh, whatever we were talking about, acupuncture, and we're like, there's just no reason why it should have an effect on what it says it does. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't make any sense in terms of signaling or biology. Like, there's just no... So, no one should be surprised when there is no effect, right? Yeah. This one, we're still trying to tease out what the effect is, the best well, way to measure the effect, but we at least know that it's a fairly sound scientific basis for why there should be an effect. Well, on here's... Can I throw a fly in the ointment here? Do you mind? Find the ointment. Is yeah. that an expression? Uh, just sounds right. Let me just let me just know. throw it, something at you. It hits me wrong. A fly in the ointment. Yeah. What ointment? I'll look it up in the in the break. Um, so I understand the concept of needing to have that sleep cycle so mm-hmm. that we do sleep when it's dark. But, yeah. but presumably, a lot of our evolution, mm-hmm. I imagine, certainly for Europeans, mm-hmm. has happened You're in so high. Eurocentric. <laughs> yeah, I am. I, I will be in this next sentence, right? But so much of it has happened in high latitude, latitudes, latitude. high up where the yep. sunlight can go up until like I was in Finland recently, mm-hmm. and it doesn't get dark until mid midnight mm-hmm. for like two or three hours in summer, right? I was thinking about this. So, yeah. and also the on the flip side, in winter it's basically all darkness apart from a couple of hours. Yep. So, if you are so hardwired to needing that blue light, like then there must be some kind of attenuation of that evolutionary, I don't know, scheme for those people that have evolved in that part of the world. No, I mean, is it not, you kind of get what I'm trying to say? Like this goes against your deductive reasoning perhaps for why this on the first basis might be there, right? Like the the whole idea of this blue light effect, we're sort of going, it makes a bit of sense. So we're kind of expecting it, but Mm -hmm. does it not, in these situations, doesn't that cast a little bit bit of doubt on our sort of deduction? Well, I think that if you, um, you can train yourself to sleep at any time. Right. Yeah. And to some extent, also being awake makes you tired. So if you are living at sort of northern latitudes or extreme latitudes, right? Yeah. Um, and you find that you are getting way too much sun and the nights are very short. I mean, there must be some degree of acclimatization to that and sort of, you know, uh, melatonin burnout yeah. where you only have so much. But, but do you reckon that the whatever bodily functions occurring with the, yeah. the, what do you call it? Neuro, what do you call it? Neuro... Neuroendocrine or neuro, neurohormone. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like, would it fluctuate with the seasons or do you think... It would have to. I guess it has to, Your right? sensitivity to it could change. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, nothing's hard and fast, right? No, nothing says if you have um, X concentration of melatonin circulating in you that you are going to go to sleep. Yeah. Right? Well, see, I think... It makes you sleepy in principle, right? Yeah. But people would have varying degrees to which they're sensitive to that amount of circulating melatonin. Okay, well then here's another study that I want you to or do Or even me. to the extent to which how much UV light stimulates it, depending on where you live, right? You might need much less light or much more light to stimulate your melatonin production. Oh, I get depending that. Depending on I get where that. you but are. But see, that my question was about 
one place of living that has a great, a great variance in the amount yeah. of light throughout the year, right? Mm-hmm. So here's the study I want you to take for me, right? Mm-hmm. This is what you can initiate this study and come back to me in two years' time, right? Yeah. Um, I want to take people that live close to the equator that have fairly st- standard daylight hours, right? Mm-hmm. They probably go for what, 12, 13 hours and then it's dark, sure. or whatever, right? Take them out of there and put them into a high latitude location and mm-hmm. see if their sleep is affected way worse than someone that's just experiencing normal kind of like... Well, my prediction would be that it would be affected way worse for a period of time before they're climatized. Okay. Uh, see, I, I'm coming at it from a like a biological point of view thinking that they would never acclimatize as well as someone who whose you know, ancestors come from that part of the world. That's possible. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, well, I mean, theory. There's could, your study. You come back to me. But that would be very similar Bob to comparing the... Um, altitude acclimatization of people who were born in cultures that were high altitude livers for centuries yeah. versus people who are sort of, you know, sea level dwellers and saying, you know, over the course of years, can someone who's a sea level dweller acclimatize to process uh, or to, um, you know, use oxygen as efficiently as mm. those who were raised for several generations in a high altitude environment? Mm. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. Well, that's up, that's up to you for next time. I'm pretty sure the people who are from, you know, multi-generation high altitude livers do have different sort of hemoglobin structures which allow them to use it oxygen more efficiently. Mm. And I don't know if you could ever replicate that by being a lowlander. All right. Well, good. Well, we're going a little bit off topic. But that was off topic. But that was cool. That's really cool. Well, I got one more thing with all that. Okay, yeah. So there have been studies showing whether or not... um, Now, once we get into this nitty-gritty of using computer screens at night and then self-reporting, and that's what most of them are, which is it's terrible. Few and if, far if, between look, the if, studies that look at objective markers of either melatonin yeah. or sleep studies. Most of them are um, how much computer screens you would expose them to, or hours of just staring at it, blue LEDs versus like you know self-reported sleep quality. Um, some of them use reaction time in terms of wakefulness, yep. you know, which is not a bad marker. That's somewhat kind of quantifiable, you mm-hmm. know. It's a bit objective. Um, but we, we start getting into some fairly nebulous studies, which are kind of, some say yes, some say no. Yeah. So I'm getting as just that this podcast is kind of showing, initially we we're sort of trying to use scientific research to prove slash disprove things, but we tend to always just come up with the same answer, which is the studies aren't that good or no. they, they don't really show what they're purporting to show. So it's quite, well, that, that's, I guess, a, a, an outcome in itself, but. There's another paper, though, that did look at using blue... I mean, once we get beyond just looking at the actual exposure to the screens, we get into your blue blocker glasses. Yeah, yeah. Did you find they worked when you used them? See, this is what I don't don't think... How long did you use them for? uh, I can't remember if I used them religiously at all. I don't think I did. But see, my issue with them is that once you start including these sort of things as part of your routine... Mm there's something to be said about a sort of bedtime routine, right? And then you get caught up in this idea that, oh, I have to put my blue blockers on. If I haven't worn my blue blockers, I just don't feel like I can sleep. But that's nothing to do with the blue light. No, and there's a, there'll be a placebo effect. Absolutely. And well. sleep is just the, uh, so hard to ripe make. for getting affected by placebotic yeah. type yeah. effects, right? Totally. So I don't take any stock in the idea of people who start using those orange glasses saying, oh, they're just amazing because... I can't sleep without them now. Like as soon as I have them, it's like, well, well, like this study here, I can't has, sleep without jerking off at least well, 15 minutes. This study minutes here, blue blocker glasses impede the capacity of bright light to suppress melatonin production right. from the journal of pineal research. That's of endocrine. The pineal gland is what produces melatonin. Right. Right. So this is a very focused group. And they found that people who wear blue blocker glasses do in fact attenuate 
the standard um, melatonin. Um, oh, I have no doubt that there'd be some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would make sense. So to me. again, so they were that's again an objective measure saying, but it was fourteen people. That doesn't seem that difficult to get people enrolled in that study. Fourteen. Yeah. God. And then um, what else do I have here? Oh yeah. So one kind of sort of final thing that I thought was interesting about, and it, mainly as a different way to look into this issue. Mm-hmm. So we've looked at measuring hormones. We've looked at sleep studies. We've looked at um, whether people are looking at computer screens or just straight up at light or ambient light in the room based mm-hmm. on the overhead lights. Um, and to some extent, they it still depend on compliance of the people to actually do it. That's look another at the screen. issue, yeah. What's one way you could remove compliance from the situation altogether and have complete control over how much blue light someone's exposed to? Strap them into a chair, clockwork on orange style, with, exactly. the, with the calipers opening their eyes, yeah. closing the eyes. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. Great. That's the best way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> no, this, um, many, many years ago, are you familiar with cataract surgery? Lens no. replacement? I'm, I've got a feeling I probably will be in a, about you 10, 15 be. years' time. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Cataracts are when your lenses go all foggy. Basically, yeah. your lenses go bad, right? Okay. And so what happens is you have them taken out and you have new lenses put in, which means that the implant that gets put in is like having a little pair of contacts injected right into your eyeball that you can never take out, okay. which means that whatever they would do to light is happening. All light that you're experiencing through your eyes is filtered through those lenses. Got it. Because of the, what we know about the negative effects about uh, focusing that comes from blue light. So, I mean, we're talking about people get it for visual acuity, right? That's why you get cataracts because you can't see very well. And so in one way, make them work a bit better because they don't actually, they're getting better now, but historically they're a standard focal length, which means that they're more like glasses than they are like true lenses, right? Yeah. When you focus, you normally deform your natural lens and that changes what you can focus on, right? So it kind of changes the prescription. So which you, you can't, a fixed lens in your eye is not gonna do that for no. you. So you get sort of like a standard fixed distance at which things are, are clear. And you gotta kind of choose, are you a close person or a far person or whatever else? Um, and one way to make them work better, right, is to go, well, one of the things that causes people eye strain and difficult vision is blue light, which scatters. So let's get rid of blue light for them. So they went back to first principles to the other problems of blue light as a reason to get rid of it, to block it out. And then they're also thinking, well, we also know that blue light is kind of involved in retinal damage. No, retinal damage. Oh, right. So there's another reason for them to to cut it out. But as you were saying, you need the blue light. You do need the blue light. But obviously we have other, you know, like you don't cut it all out. You cut out a certain, a a portion of the the blue light that's coming in. Right. Um, Because, you know, you have blue light, but you also have like cooler blue light. So like more, what they call like violet light. And so some people break down that band into blue, violet, before it gets to ultraviolet, right? right. Um, and there's different ideas about which is the most dangerous and which is the most involved in circadian rhythms. Yeah. Um, but it, basically, a subset or proportion of the new lenses you can get on the market now that they would be uh, uh, blue-blocking blue right. lenses, right? So those people would have those put in would have a proportion, much of the blue light they would normally experience, um, cut out. The studies have looked into whether or not these people people who've had blue blocking cataract lenses versus regular lenses, do they report any difference in sleep? Right. Um, and again, you start to find that they're, they, they're on both sides of the fence. Some right. papers have found that, yeah, there's absolutely a difference that they report better sleep. Um, the blocked lenses. The blocked yeah. lenses. And other ones have found that, no, there's no difference. Okay, so uh, we're about to go and deal with some vegan babies now, which is my article for this week. Um, but before we do, we've got a, uh, some new podcasts coming out on the Ironworks podcast 
Network. The Ironworks Podcast Network. So we'll give you a bit of a heads up for one of those. And then we'll be back with Vegan Babies. New to the Ironworks Podcast family this week is Nom de Plume, a cooking show with your host, Kel Biryani. Every week, Kel cooks up a nom-worthy poultry dish. Mmm. Listen to the snaps, crackles, and hisses this week as he prepares an ear-watering poached red jungle fowl. Enjoy the magic of cooking the way it was meant to be enjoyed with your ears. All right, so vegan babies. Babies electing to, to be, be vegan. vegan. Um, basically, the reason why I want to talk about this is twofold. Mm-hmm. Um, one, we have some dedicated vegan parents amongst our friendship group. Um, Just two. I mean, two, two parents that are a couple. Oh, my. Are there more? No, I've got my, my cousin is raising a, I think, I, I don't want to miss. I wouldn't call your cousin a friend of mine. Okay, very good. Um, he's raising a, unless I think it's Pedro, Harry. Unless it's Harry. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I feel close to him. He's, yeah, I think they're raising them vegetarian. I, I, I can't quote him, but I, I know there's definitely a meat reduced diet. We're like the same jumper, you know, that. Yeah, that's great for our listeners. <laughs> We're wearing the same jumper. Um, yeah, pretty close. So uh, what's happened recently? So that's the first reason why I wanted to bring this up. Yeah. The second is that uh, last month, I'm not sure if you saw this as part of the news, it came a lot on social media and all that kind of stuff as yeah. well. Um, in Sydney, parents of uh, a vegan baby were sentenced to 300 hours of community service for com- a completely inadequate diet provided to their young baby mm-hmm. who was three years old. They were basically feeding it oats, porridge, rice, toast, nothing of like genuine nutritional value for the kid and the judge was pretty harsh in his assessment of whether that was appropriate treatment or not irrespective of their genuine desires and thinking mm-hmm. that a vegan diet is the healthiest for the sure. baby well right? that kind of we sure do kind of get close to those uh, parents particularly in the states who don't bring their babies for medical care yep. because they're like you know Christian scientists or they don't believe in medical intervention at all. Yep. And they really do believe they're doing the best thing for their children. That's right. But, you know, these are the kind of um, uh, religious beliefs that have, they killed Steve Jobs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, or gave Val Kilmer a non-functioning mouth. That's right. Well, to be fair, though, this is abs- if you're going to use this as arguments against veganism, you, yeah. this is the straw man of strawest of men, right? Like, um, And there's, there's a, an article I saw on veganaustralia.org org.au that said just as much and i totally agree with them that this is not a problem with vegan diets necessarily this is a problem with idiots right like the whole idea of a vegan diet for a baby is one that is well managed supplemented where required and yeah yeah, i think the the term they used is um i think it's well well managed anyway we'll we'll come to that in a sec Uh but the general gist is if you are on a vegan diet it's unquestioned that your baby will need things that are difficult to get uh, micronutrients that like is. what like iron omega-3 iodine um, b12 vitamin d right the big ones all all these things are unquestioned required for the baby so i guess people who are vegan parents uh-huh. they would say that you can supplement these and in fact there's a lot of guidelines including um where was it it was the british dietetic association in 2017 Gave a big tick for well-planned vegan diets for babies. So it's it's not without its like legitimate backers of quote-unquote researched authorities, right? Now, the issue with those micronutrients though 
and we've come up with this before, is that it's they're very difficult to get from plants in terms well, of the. We know, speaking of micronutrients, that Brad Wong, our friend from the Copenhagen Consensus, consensus yeah. one of their findings from the best ways to use UN funding, right, um, was you know we talked about this a few months ago, not for climate change research, but in fact to deliver micronutrients to um, children in certain parts of the world where they don't get it because it's the um, access to micronutrients that makes the biggest effect on the developing brain, right? So those first micronutrients in those first few years That's right. is what sets the ceiling for your intellect more than and your ability physically as well, more than anything else, right? That's right. And if you can hit those landmarks, everything else is sort of compensatable. Yeah. But you have a window where you have to get the right stuff in to get that brain to where it needs to be. That's right. And so you can get those quite easily through meat sources through eggs, poultry, fish, etc. right? Mm -hmm. Um, Now, they do exist in plant form, but as we've discussed again before, the absorption factor is an issue, right? So they might exist there, but they don't absorb as well into the human body, Mm -hmm. right? So this is where all the supplements- This is the access versus availability. Yeah, so this is where the supplements kind of come in. Yeah. And again, vegans will argue that a well-supplemented, well-managed- continually getting blood tests and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. With yeah. your, if, you, if you're willing to do all that stuff, then there's no issue with raising a vegan child. Mm. Now, here's my article for you, right? This has just come out last week. It is Derbyshire, Derbyshire I would say Etel, but this is from BMJ Nutrition. Ooh, BMJ. BMJ Nutrition. Well, so I'm sure it's just as good as the standard, the mainline BMJ. It's basically like BMJ X, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's a franchise. Yeah, it's BMJ Nutrition Vancouver. We could start a BMJ Jeremy's Iron, (laughs) BMJI. And all we gotta do is pay a fee to the British Medical Journal. Yeah, so basically this paper is called, could we be overlooking a potential choline or choline? It's pronounced colon. It's not. (laughs) (laughs) You could almost get me with that, but no. C-H-O-L-I-N. Could choline. We be, yeah, okay, that's yeah. what I said. Could we be overlooking a potential choline crisis in the United Kingdom? And basically she's saying that this choline is one of these micronutrients that is not being studied enough, right? And it's likened to omega-3 fatty acids in that it's one of these essential nutrients. Mm-hmm. And it can't be produced inside the body, so we need it from external sources. Guess where it's found in? It's actually found in lecithin, which is that... Um, it's going to be in eggs. It's going to be in high cholesterol meat products, essentially, right? Now, I'll read you a bit, a bit from this paper. So, physiologically, choline is critical for a number of functions across the life cycle, which include wide-ranging roles in human metabolism, from neurotransmitter synthesis to cell structure and methylation, um, with choline deficiency being linked to liver disease, offspring cognitive function, mm-hmm. and potential neurological disorders, right? So, it's very crucial for growing infants. And the gist is this, that the mother's choline levels while she's pregnant um, affects the baby, not only in utero, but also the milk that she then feeds the child is choline deficient. And so therefore the child will also be choline deficient, right? So there's also there's an insinuation here that it's not just a problem for the baby with the, a lack of choline, but it's also a problem for the mother as well. Like a vegan mother might be indicted here, mm-hmm. potentially in this paper, right? So this came out quite recently and it's... it's I, I don't, you are what your mother eats, right? Well, exactly right. Right. Again, it's one of those things that potentially could be supplemented and there's no reason why it couldn't be supplemented with, you know... Sure. External vitamins and yeah. whatever, right? Yeah. But all of these studies linking long-term outcomes to vegan diets and stuff in, in babies, they suffer from the same problem, which came up in this next paper. Um, this one's Seb, uh, Sebastiani 
et al. The issue is this. Choline, is that going to affect people long-term? Sure. Right? Choline in utero, choline as a baby. Yeah. How smart are you at the age of 15, right? Was, is your development Does that correlate affected? with choline intake? Right. Yeah, sure. So now there's a big problem because if you're testing vegan mothers- Does, does Blackmores or Swiss have a, a choline, choline supplement? Black currant choline. <laughs> chewable. Chew, chewable. <laughs> choline chewables. I always get the chewables. Yeah. Choline polar bears or gummy, something, right? Yeah, like gummy, gummy choline. <laughs> um, so the, the issue, and this is going to be the- a vegan family or someone being raised as a vegan toddler, right? Yeah. In a first world country, yeah. the demographics of that particular family skews insanely, right? Well, sure. Because if you look at America, for example, yeah. or in a developed nation, if you are from a lower socioeconomic group, right? Yeah. You're not, not eating meat. That's you're right. eating a lot. You're eating McDonald's. So you're right. eating cheap meat. That's right. Cheap farm that raised, might have its own issues, hands, right? Which is another thing. But, but you're, you're probably serving, getting all of the micronutrients. You're getting a whole bunch of other shit, but you're probably getting the micronutrients. You're getting your respect, baseline. Right? Pro- yeah. Unless you're what they call like, you know, um, uh, like malnourished, but fat, right? But people get yeah. too much of, they, they still, actually they're not getting the micronutrients because they're just getting like a very small section of just like tons of fats and proteins, but not actually getting... <laughs> No. All those nutrients. So it could be its own problem. But point is, they're, they're getting meat typically and they're not eating vegetarian That's true. diets. And if you think about your your friends that are vegans or whatever, that yeah. they tend to be high socioeconomic, sure. you know, uh, generally very progressive. Mm-hmm. Usually, I would say they're probably more, um, in more quote unquote intelligent or at least in the demographic sense, right? They're more highly educated, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. That tends to be the case. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to judge the outcome, like neurological development outcome of like a child that's been brought up as a vegan. Yeah. You've got all these confounding issues, social structures around these types of people that have, that consider ethical reasons for being vegan, right? Differ completely. This is like our Steiner school study, exactly. right? Which is the kind of people that send their kid to a Steiner school right. are not a normal standard of family, right? The, yeah, that's right. And the, the irony here is yeah. that it actually goes the other way in developing countries. Mm-hmm. They can't afford meat. That's right. It's, so they're, it's they're malnourished for varieties of reasons. And not only are they not getting the micronutrients, they're probably not even getting the macronutrients yeah. when they're not getting enough meat because they don't have the resources to do so, those families, right? Mm-hmm. So the reasons for being, for being a vegan baby makes you a very specific demographic for two different reasons on either side of the spectrum, right? Very interesting, yeah. It's quite interesting, which basically means that all of these Rubbish studies- is the studies. It does in a big yeah. way, like- there are plenty of them, and obviously I haven't read through them all. Um, and you should have. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I read through literally all very twelve well. thousand studies about blue light. <laughs> um, it yeah. burns me to hear you say that you didn't go through all the studies. No, I didn't go through all the studies. Okay, look, I do my I do my like hours worth of research. Here first. <laughs> Shut up. He admits it. <laughs> it's Jeremy's line. It's a well. It's a well researched, adequately researched podcast. Sufficiently that, researched. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so that, there we go with our... Um, I like, that's really interesting. But I've got something else for you. So this yeah. basically opens the door mm. to what you would expect, which is people who are naturally meat eaters going, finding whatever research suggests that their point of view is correct and being like, sure. you're cruel if you subject your child mm. to a, a vegan diet, blah, blah. Then you, on the other side, you get a whole bunch of vegan people finding all these articles saying that, you know, it's just perfectly healthy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They exist on both sides and... From our point of view, 
long-term studies are just completely vexed with this, right? But I looked at a couple of them and it's always the, the authors always have some vested interest in them. All of these kind of vegan, sure. pro-vegan, sure. anti-vegan things. Yeah. I found a really funny c- couple that I'm going to go side by side uh-huh. here. Of, yeah, go for it. If you just didn't look at who the author was and mm-hmm. you read this and they're, they're in le- seemingly legitimate publications. Yeah. yeah. If you follow like where the author has come from, it's actually quite funny. So there's one from um, this guy called Nathan Kofnus. Is vegetarianism healthy for children? Question mark. Good question. This comes in the critical reviews in food science and nutrition, which critical is- Critical reviews. It sounds really good. Doesn't it? It is an open access journal, which most of these studies tend to be. Yeah, we're not really au fait with the open access kind of vibe, are we, on Jeremy's Iron? Look, I I published an open access. Yeah. And I know why (laughs) I did that. (laughs) Okay. I didn't do that because I didn't want to publish in nature. (laughs) I got, yeah. (laughs) I wasn't being like, you know, you know what? The people need to see this. This is research for the people. I will not put my research behind a paywall. For those for those playing at home, if it's an open access journal, basically it means that you would pay to get your yeah. um, research published as opposed to not pay and have it scrutinized probably a little bit more on their side, right? And then have people pay to access it. That's right, okay. So the money come from... Now, yeah, typically also, by the way, when you do standard journal publications, you also tend to pay for that too, by the way. That, that's true, yeah. Which is dumb, It's, right? it's crazy, they're so getting you it both, both sides. Anyway, so this comes from an open access journal, which I guess you get a a larger variety of things getting published, right? With less scrutiny. With less scrutiny, okay. So this comes from a guy from Nathan Kofnus who says that vegetarianism, not even veganism, vegetarianism, where you're allowed to eat eggs, eggs, et cetera, Mm -hmm. um, cheese, Mm -hmm. milk, may be associated with serious risks for brain and body development in fetuses and children. Regular supplementation of iron, zinc, and B12 will not mitigate all of these risks. D12. And D12 <laughs> will not mitigate all these risks. And yeah. you read through this stuff, sure. right? Yeah. Now, um, I was like, okay, I'm let, with me just, let me just put a cursory look at who this Nathan Kofnus is. And I'm going to, he comes up on Rational Wiki, right? So this guy is this alt right figure, right? Mm-hmm. Known as, quote unquote, based Jew. You know, you know the term based is like a, if someone's based, you're kind of cool mean? or whatever, right? Right. Based you, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know that. I've heard of that expression. I'm not so literate. the guy, so I don't know, but this guy works, he's at Oxford University, I think. Mm-hmm. So he's a legit dude. He's got a PhD in philosophy. Well, yeah. Mm, so he's <laughs> and, not science or is it really, we're wait, going down the wrong rabbit hole here. He attended the pseudoscientific London Conference on Intelligence 2016. He wrote a book published by... Um, some peeps. Wait, so he's attending pseudoscientific... He's, so he's like, he's a flag-waving pseudoscientist? <laughs> who, who's a climate change denier. So right. he's sympathetic to climate change denial. Um, he questions the scientific consensus of anthropogenic global warming, etc. Right. He talks a lot about the IQ of Ashkenazi Jews. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, he's this highly controversial online figure that has posted this thing. And if you didn't know any better, yeah. you'd be like... Hey, this science. is legit. Yeah. That's legit. Yeah. And then on the other side, there's an article called Planning Well-Balanced Vegetarian Diets in Infants, Children, and Adolescents. Again, this is open access in the Journal of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics mm-hmm. by um, Baroni et al. So there's uh, Luciana Baroni it's in Italy, Silvia Goggi 
and Maurizio Battino. So very, Such good very names. Italian. Great names. Yeah. Um, and again, it, I'll give you the conclusion and then I'll tell you where these people come from. Italy, we know. Well-balanced vegetarian diets, which include a wide variety of plant foods and reliable sources of B12 and vitamin D, are an adequate option for infants, children, and adolescents. Because of their favorable content of fiber in fiber and essential nutrients, they've been shown to be protective against childhood and adolescent obesity. So they're basically playing the other side of the coin, which is, yeah. It's even better for you. Right, yep. Anyway, so these people have skin in the game here. One has this online blog thing about, she has an Instagram with, I think, uh, 30,000 followers and she posts a whole bunch of stuff on veganism and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one has a book out about veganism and she's got a, a blog thing. Um, I think the, the dude on there looks- Maurizio. Fairly unrelated to the vegan thing. Right. Again, nothing wrong with you doing a scientific study. If you're pro-vegan and mm. you're like, I'm a scientist, I'm going to study this stuff reliably and let's see what comes out. But you can see that you just get the sense that these it's people- It's going to color the structure of your study. It's going to color how you interpret the data, especially these data, which are not you know, yeah. super objective necessarily. Um, so where does this leave you as a prospective parent? Let's say you are, let's say you're vegetarian yourself yep. or vegan. Let's say you're vegan. Yeah. You got a kid coming. Mm-hmm. Having read all this stuff, where does that leave you? Easy. I've got an easy solution to this. Okay. I feel like if you... Okay, this this is my personal opinion, but mm-hmm. I think I can defend it pretty simply, I think. Yeah. There's no reason to be zero tolerance on meat products, right? Obviously, the, the nutrients you need as, as an adult is totally different to the nutrients you need when you're tripling your size in 18 months yeah. or whatever, right? Like, So I don't see the distinction between a low meat diet, which I'm sure would provide them with some of those nutrients, right? Mm-hmm. Versus complete no tolerance, no meat, right? So at that point, it becomes, in my opinion, absolutely ideological. If you're like, my baby's going to be a vegan baby, 100%, mm-hmm. that's your ideology that you're imparting on your child, Yeah, which you can you can suggest to them when they're in their uh, you know, adults or whatever, right? Sure. If, if you're doing it for ethical reasons, I have sympathy for you because I, I have those same ethical... I feel that that impetus, right? But people lose sight of the fact that if you have a low meat diet, that's almost as good as having a no meat diet, right? Like if you're reducing, as an adult, if you reduce your diet, your meat intake by- Probably a a vegetarian as opposed to a vegan diet, right? So you're not killing anything. Yeah. Milk and eggs. No, you just, well, okay. You're not killing anything argument doesn't really fly because it's a horrendous industry nonetheless. But- doesn't have to be. It depends where uh, you get it from. Oh, yeah, sure. Right? Uh, there let's, are let's, ways of controlling that as a consumer. Right. But not not without great difficulty slash high price slash all this kind of stuff, right? So I think my opinion, totally opinion mm-hmm. of someone that has zero children yeah. and <laughs> not in the very the short way. foreseeable future. Yeah. There's no reason why you couldn't be giving your child some level of meats yeah. per week providing them with the, nut- the micronutrients on some level, on mm. some dosage, right? And then, then you can still do the blood tests and do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But you're kind of making sure that there's some baseline level of... I mean, I, I can't imagine that a kid needs to have meat products with every meal. I'm not a dietitian. Maybe some people might suggest that, but I would think... Peterson. Peterson, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Peterson diet for <laughs> babies, yeah. So again, completely biased opinion. I think zero tolerance... Is completely ideological and a bit yeah. and a bit bullshit. Yeah. Um, 
when they grow up, when they get a bit older, you can you can impart your ideology I onto agree. them, and then I they think, can adopt it or not or whatever. But um, I think you're right. I think it sounds like it's totally possible that you can have a completely balanced vegan diet, but the effort involved in making sure that they are getting the right diet yeah. is so intense, so grueling in terms of the you need to get a blood test, and you just don't know, and we still don't know exactly what the right levels are and what's important and what's not. Like for example, choline, which we're just starting to look at recently would not have been on our radar 10 years ago when constructing a vegan diet for someone. There's tons of things that we just don't know. You can't nickel and dime every single nutrient you're giving them. Yeah. And like, you know, there's gonna be a finite number of nutrients that you're monitoring. How do we know, A, if the test is accurate enough to tell you what you need at those levels, and also what else we're missing that we don't know about, that we're not totally, as a betting man, it's just too much work and still too big a gamble in the child's first couple That's of years That's the of life. issue for me. Like you, you, I presume if you've got a kid and you're gonna, give them a vegan diet. You read all this shit, right? Yeah. And you, you talk to people and you know exactly what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But I guess me now appreciating the fact that long-term studies are just so confounded that they're worth nothing. Yeah. You just abate your risks with that stuff, right? Like you, you, you suck it up and cop it hit to your ideology for a small piece of, you know, for a small piece of flesh, of animal flesh that might be doing your baby the world of good. And I can't see the downside of a very low amount of meat being provided to the child, as in like going from no meat to a little bit of meat, I can't see there being health negatives to that, right? Someone could argue that maybe there's a, a full vegan diet for an adult is healthy, but it's a different question for me for- I'm with a you, baby, man, so. I think, uh, but then again, you know? Here we are sitting behind two microphones with uh, not and a sprog between us. And we're not vegans. And we're not vegans, <laughs> so, yeah. you know. So there's our bias on the table. Man, you but say you sympathize, but I've seen you eat a couple of healthy steaks in the last few weeks as well. True, but so hey, but to flash my credentials in the vegan direction, I've I've, I've tried it. I've done, I was a vegan for pretty much eighteen months, and it, oh, it crushed me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it really, really did. <laughs> and you weren't even growing. No, I wasn't even growing. Yeah. yeah. Think of think of how tall I would be if I was uh, you know eating well, meat throughout remember, that period of I, I thirty one remember, to thirty two. I think we always bring this up, but that vegan bodybuilders magazine I once saw, yeah. and it was the scrawniest looking dudes I've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> like these guys were actively trying to get as much vegan based nutrition as they can get, and their whole life is like their their job is to be vegan nutritioned, and they still look like a quarter the size of the next dude. Yeah, I'm like, it just doesn't seem that you can get enough in your diet yeah. without serious effort. Uh, yeah, man. Cool. Well, that's it. That's it. That's been Jeremy's Iron. New format. Retooled. One by one. Retooled. If you like what you hear, get in touch with us, jeremysiron.com. Uh, we have a, I think we have a Facebook, don't we? Yeah, but whatevs. Hit us up on- um, We don't like Facebook. Yeah. Do some graph on a toilet stall, take a picture of it, send it to us and we'll, um, yeah. Could we get Cambridge Analytica to increase our listenership? <laughs> that's true does that wait hold on but does that mean they're going to be spying on all of our listeners that, that was what Cambridge Analytica was doing right they, they were uh, taking yeah. information from yeah. people that weren't but necessarily but we would use that to create a show that's more focused for our listeners excellent right right so listeners log into jeremysiron.com and click that little thing that Look, says, if you, you won't know, write can we get access to you? what you want to listen to, we're going to have to steal it out of your brains. Yeah. <laughs> right? We want to know what's, what you're about. So yeah. if there's a pop-up that comes up and says, can Jeremy Zion have access to your likes, friends, public profile, just so click yeah, yes. Yeah. Because it just means that- We're doing it for you. We're doing it for you. The next shows are going to be tailored to your specific interests. 
you, you might be a bit creeped out with how specific it gets. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very, very specific. You're We're going to be talking about flights to Bali from under two hundred ninety nine dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that'd be part of the great, the third wave retooling of the show. <laughs> yeah, we become just like the, the the Facebook ads on the side of your. Uh... <laughs> no science whatsoever. No. Just clickbait. Yeah. Audio clickbait. Oh, is that a good name for a band? It's like Audio Slave. Audio clickbait. We're going to say goodbye and chat about that after the show. But thanks for thanks for listening in. I get the impression you don't think it's a good name for a band. We'll catch you next week. <laughs> yeah. Now, like in it. <laughs>